0: Right. Welcome to another episode of BQA Bible question and answers and tonight we're going to attempt to answer the question is Russia in the Bible. It's not surprising uh, there are viewers who will send questions pertaining to Russia because of what is currently taking place. The uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine has prompted many uh, believers to ask whether or not the, uh, Russia, the Russian invasion or Russia itself is biblically prophesied. So this is what we're going to look into. Let's go take a look at the person who asked the question Uh, based on the topic. This is what it says. Uh, Please uh, look into it. Gog and Nagog. Good good day, Paul. We are aware of the recent events happening right now, Brother John. Uh, The war between Ukraine and Russia. There have been end-time talks circulating everywhere online that interests and bothers me. Here are my questions. Number one, is Russia in the Bible? Is Russia the fulfillment of Gog or Magog in the book of Ezekiel chapter 38? The Bible says, son of man, is this referring to prophet Ezekiel? Uh, Number three, who is Meshach and Tubal? Are they people or places? Where are they in this present time? Number four, it is written in Ezekiel 38, 12, in order to seize the spoil and carry off the plunder to turn the hand against the desolate places now inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and possessions and who live at the center of the land. Is it possible that the center of the land pertains to Ukraine or Kiev both sit at the center and located in between Russia and European nations? There's more questions attached, Uh, brothers and sisters. Number five, uh, has this happened before during the time of Ezekiel? or is this a parallel prophecy? Number six, if yes, but it is written, Ezekiel 38, 16, you will advance against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. It will happen in the latter days, O God, that I will bring you against land. Number seven, if no, then this is a, con- a conflict or is this conflict or war between Russia and Ukraine the fulfillment of the Ezekiel prophecy, chapter 38 to 39. I'd like to add that the president is Jewish, Uh, Some soldiers are Jews, and there are approximately 300,000 Jewish people in Ukraine, according to the Association of Jewish Organizations and Communities of Ukraine based on the 2019 data. It's interesting. Didn't know that. Uh, Number eight, but then verses 14 onward say that the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal will advance his troops against Israel. Is it too early to tell? So these are the questions we're going to answer in this episode of the BQA. Uh, we'll do it as swiftly as we can, but please uh, bear with us as we seek the answers from the Holy Bible. So let's go with question number one. Is Russia in the Bible? Is Russia the fulfillment of Gog or Magog in the book of Ezekiel chapter 38? Now, you probably never heard of Gog or Magog, or maybe you have, because every time we read Revelation 20, about the end of days, about Judgment Day, we also mentioned Gog and Magog, but we never really asked what on earth is Gog and Magog. And so now, because of Ezekiel 38, we have some material to work with so that we can investigate, and ask, and then answer who is Gog, what is Magog. So the question is, is Russia Gog? How about Magog? What does that mean? So let's turn to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 38, 1, to 3. The word of Yahuwah came to me, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog. The chief prince of Meshach and Tubal prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Yahuwah says. I am against you, O Gog, Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. So is Gog Russia? According to the prophecy in Ezekiel 38, Gog is a person. Because it mentions that Yahuwah is against you, O Gog. So, Gog is a person and not a place. So, Gog is not Russia. Well, is Gog related to Russia? Before we can even attempt to answer that question, I think we need to first identify who Gog is, right? And when it comes to trying to identify Gog, we need to rely on scripture. And so what we typically do is we look at other verses that mention God. It's a good thing we have a tool uh, in the internet called the Blue Letter Bible. And one of the things that you can do is you can put in the word, for example, God, and it will generate to you a list of verses that contain that name. And so this is what we did. And these are the places in the Bible where you find the word God. Okay. So you notice the first mentioning of God is right there in 1 Chronicles 5, 4, And so when we look at this passage, it is about a son uh, of Shemaiah. And so it's an obscure person, nothing really written much about this person. This God mentioned in Corinthians 5.4 is different from the God in question, the God in Ezekiel. You notice the rest of the mentions in the Holy Bible of God is found in Ezekiel, right? And so in reality, um, Ezekiel is the first book that really reveals or mentions the identity of this God. And so we only have Ezekiel to really work with. And you also look at Revelation 20, verse eight, which is towards the end, which is after the millennium. Ezekiel 38 is before the millennium. So somehow, way, this God is going to survive. He's gonna go all the way, to the last days after the millennium, and he's going to again play a role somehow in the end time events. But who is this God? The Bible doesn't really tell us that much. That's the whole point, which is why I put out this list of verses that contain God. It doesn't tell us much. However, we do get a clue in Ezekiel 38, 1, 2, 3, because he is mentioned as a chief prince. He is from the land of Magog, and a chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And when we think of prince, chief prince, what should come to mind? The episode from our BHP, remember that one? Angelic influence. We know that throughout the course of nations and kingdoms, there is an invisible influence behind them all. For example, in Ezekiel 28 11 to 14, it mentions the king of Tyre, but behind him, influencing him is an angel. His name is Lucifer, right? Even King of Babylon. It mentions the King of Babylon, but behind the scenes we have Lucifer again. So behind the scenes, we have angels, some good, some bad, and they influence the course of nations and kingdoms. Another example in the book of Daniel, we have the Persian kingdom. There's a prince who is in charge of that territory, of the Persian kingdom. And he's contesting against another prince, the chief prince, Michael. And this Michael is in charge of Israel. And so behind the scenes, there are angels, good and bad. Michael's a good angel, Lucifer obviously obviously is not. But it seems that this chief prince named Magom is going to be a chief participant when it comes to end time events. According to noted biblical scholar Michael Heiser, in his book, The Unseen Realm, he says, God should have been perceived as either a figure empowered by supernatural evil or an evil quasi divine figure from the supernatural world bent on the destruction of God's people. For this reason, God is regarded by many biblical scholars as a template for the New Testament Antichrist figure. So we know God is a person but not a human being. It's an evil, angelic, or demonic, I should say, uh, influence that will play a major role in the development of world events during these last days. And the purpose of this angelic or demonic force is to bring harm or to destroy Israel. That's the target. And God seems bent to accomplishing that exact purpose but we may have another clue concerning the identity of god remember when we generated that list from blue letter bible of all the passages where we find the word god remember in the uh, in many english bibles and many websites where you find different english translations like the blue letter bible it is often based on the manuscript called the Masoretic Text, which is a Hebrew manuscript. It's the oldest one that we have of the Hebrew manuscripts. Unfortunately, it only dates back to 900 AD. And so the apostles never read the Masoretic Text. Yahusha never read the Masoretic Text. It's the oldest one we have though, aside, besides the, uh, the, uh, the Dead Sea Scroll documents. OK, but most of the English translations we have today come from that source, the Masoretic text. But there's also another source called the Septuagint, which is the translation of Hebrew into Greek. And so when the apostles were around, when Yahusha was here on earth, when they read the Old Testament scripture, it was probably the Septuagint that they were reading. It turns out there's some differences, some differences, very minor, but in some passages, it has a big difference. For example, uh, the Septuagint is over a thousand years older than the Masoretic text, which is the basis of our English translations of the Old Testament text, and from the Masoretic text, Amos 7.1, this is how it reads, thus the Lord God showed me, behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings, so that's what it says in Amos 7.1. How many here can understand what this means? When you look at it, he formed the locust forms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. When you look at it, I mean, it's in it's in English. This is no longer Hebrew. This is English. right? But when you look at it, try to make sense of it, it doesn't make sense. It could be that there was some kind of error in the transcription of, or the copying of the translation, or something along the line of of uh, copying the original, maybe there's something, uh, of, maybe there was some error that took place. However, when you read it in the Septuagint, this is what it looks like. Amos 7.1 in the Septuagint, the Lord hath shown me and behold a swarm of locusts were coming and behold one of the young devastating locusts was Gog the king. So apparently, in the Septuagint, there's another passage that mentions Gong, and he is portrayed as a king. A king of what? A king of locusts. What does that mean? First of all, we know there are such things as locusts, natural locusts, but natural locusts, they do not have a king. But this a mentioning of the locust swarm of locusts mentions they have a king, and his name is Gog. And so, what could that be pertaining to? In Revelation nine three eleven, then out of the smoke locusts come upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. And so there is this angelic influence. There's an angel of the bottomless pit, and he is the king of the locusts and has the name Abaddon, Apollyon. Could this be Gog as well? It could be, but one thing we know for sure, Gog is not a place. Gog is a demon king who is able to influence the course of nations, particularly that which is involved against the people of Israel. And so um, to answer the question, Gog is not Russia. Okay, well, how about Magog? In Ezekiel 38, 1-3, the word of Jehovah came to me, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Yahuwah says, I am against you, O God, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. So we know that uh, Gog is of the land of Magog, right? So it mentions the land of Magog. And so this brings up the question, is Magog a place or is it a name? And what is Magog? Is it, I should phrase it differently. Is it a name of a place or a name of a person? Okay. It turns out um, oftentimes places are named after people, right? There are many instances of that. And when it comes to places today, because when we're going to answer the, the question, is Russia in the Bible, we know names of places, names of countries, they change all the time. They evolved. And so how can we identify this land of Magog? Well, one of the things we can do is to determine who is Magog in the first place. Names of places often change, but the names of their ancestors, ancestors do not. So we go back to the Blue Letter Bible. We plug in the name Magog, and this is what is generated. Genesis 10.2 and 1 Chronicles 1.5 basically are the same. And then you have Ezekiel and Revelation 20. And so again, the Gog in question really, as mentioned in Ezekiel, begins in Genesis chapter 10, uh, verses 1 down to 5. So let's go take a look at Genesis 10, 1 to 5, so that we can have an idea of the identity of Magog, so that we can determine what, what is this place that is associated with the land of Magog. Let's go to Genesis 1 to five. Now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, and Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Repath, and Togarn. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kitim, and Dadanim, from these, the coastland people of the Gentiles, were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nation. So when we read Genesis 10, we read about how the sons of Noah gave birth to other sons and generated the different nations, the different races of the world today. And we know Noah had three sons. Who were they? Shem, Ham, Japheth. Genesis 10, 1-5, it begins with Japheth. Japheth had sons who were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Terech. So one of the sons of Japheth is Magog. And so we know Magog, the land of Magog, is associated with a person. Who is that? The son of Japheth. Son of Japheth, Magog, had descendants. It's likely that wherever Magog went to, that place is going to be named after him, right? And so the land of Magog is the land where Magog went to and gave birth to his ancestors. And so we have Magog one of the sons of Japheth, when we look at Noah's family tree, we know are Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The command of God was to disperse throughout the earth and multiply. And so that's what the three sons did. Ham went to the south, uh, towards the south. Japheth went towards the north. And we have Shem going to the east. So when we look at the descendants of Japheth, they're kind of clustered together. And so when we look at Magog and the other relatives of Magog, we can expect that they're going to be in places within, that they're close to each other. And so Japheth takes up the North, Ham takes up Southwest and Shem takes up the East, okay? And Josephus, a historian, it took some time to actually determine where the actual descendants of the three sons of Noah, kind of situated themselves. But of course, this is dynamic because people transfer, they move from place to place, especially when you have thousands of years um, working, thousands of years of living, you're going to be moving from place to place. And so we now have an idea of Magogh, right? Started out during the days of Noah, but from the days of Noah, all the way to the time of Ezekiel, many events have transpired. Some names evolve and change, right? And so now we need to identify what happened to the Magadites. What happened to them? Did they stay there in that area that where they originally came from? And so to get an idea, we need to know when Ezekiel gave his prophecy. And so we know Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel, they were all during the time of captivity. They were in Babylon, but Jeremiah, he stayed in Israel. Ezekiel, it was taken captive, but he stayed with the people. Daniel was taken captive, but he served under the king. But they were all prophets of God, right? And so we Jeremiah prophesied from 630 to 580 BC. Ezekiel, 593 to 563 BC. Daniel, 540 to 530 BC. So it's safe to say Ezekiel wrote during the 6th century, right? Did I get that right? 593 to 563 BC, that's 6th century BC, right? I got that right? So I want to make sure. It's not 7th century. 6th century BC. And so he wrote about the land of Magog. And so here's Ezekiel. He's writing about the land of Magog. During that time, um, as a matter of fact, before the time of Ezekiel, there's another, there's a historian by the name of Hesiod in the 8th century BC. So this is two centuries before the time of Ezekiel. And he was a Greek poet who is credited for composing the earliest examples of didactic poetry, poetry meaning it's giving instruction, not just entertainment, he speaks of the Magogians by their Greek name, the okay, and so we go from the Magogians, the and then they take on the name of the okay, and Herodotus, another historian, as a matter of fact, he's, he became known as the father of history because he was the first one to do a systematic investigation of historical events. And so he wrote the first book of history. You know, And so he was the father of history. And he wrote during the 5th century. And according to Herodotus, who writes in the 5th century, um, just before we go there, um, just to look at the uh, time context of time. So Hesiod wrote in the 8th century, Ezekiel the 6th century, Herodotus in the 5th century. Ezekiel mentions Magog, the land of Magog, Hesiod identifies the megagites with the Scythians, Herodotus does the same thing, and numerous archaeological discoveries have also confirmed what Herodotus write, uh, wrote, and so his credibility As a historian, was put to a test during our time when we when we engage in archaeology, and many archaeologists were able to determine what Herodotus mentioned in his writings were true and reliable, especially what he wrote about the Scythians. And so the account of Herodotus can be relied upon to determine the identity of the Schillians. And so the name Scythian designates a number of nomadic tribes which dominated the Russian steppes from the Ukraine to China from the 10th to the third centuries BC. And so when we look at the description of the jurisdiction of places where the what was able to occupy, we know that describes modern day Russia. Herodotus describes Scythia as the territory north of the Black Sea. He describes Scythia as a square, 20 days journey on a side. It is encompassed uh, the lower reaches of the, the Dniester, above Dnieper, and Don rivers, where they flow into the Black Sea and the Sea of Azov. So it's north of the Black Sea. So that takes us to Ukraine, and northeast takes us to, uh, to Russia itself, and so we know the Scythians lived in the land we now call Russia, okay? So the Scythians, according to historians, occupied the land that we now call Ukraine, Russia, and other places, okay? Philo, another historian from 20 BC to 5080, the ancient writers refer to the Great Wall of China as Yagog et Magog, the ramparts of Gog and Magog. If you look at the map you will see that uh, Russia and China are really bordered by what is called the Great Wall of China. The reason why the Chinese built the Great Wall of China was to keep uh, the Scythians from entering their land, to keep Magog, the Magogians from entering their land. This is why the Great Wall of China means ramparts of Gog and Magog. Okay, because the Scythians, they were nomadic warriors, and they were very skilled. They're, they were experts at archery. In fact, they were expert, they were, their skill at archery is impeccable, and it's second to none when you think about it, because they can go on a horse without a saddle, full gallop, and turn behind them and shoot a bird in, flying in midair and shoot it down. And they could do that with either the right hand or left hand <laughs> and so they were amazing when it comes to their skills of archery and so this is these are the Scythians. and then in josephus from 20 bc to 50 a.d magog founded the magogians thus names after him but were the greeks were by the greeks called Scythians. and so we have this identity of the the magogians associated with the Scythians. Who lived in what we now call Russia? So far, so good. Okay, um, and to corroborate what these historians have written, thank uh, being thankful to archaeological findings, we now can say without any doubt the Scythians really occupied the land of Russia because the fact the Scythian culture extended. More than 2000 miles east from the Ukraine was demonstrated by the sensational discovery of tombs. They found tombs in the Chelikta Valley of East Kazakhstan, which was published in 1965 in Russian. Skillian material culture had spread to the Mongolian border as early as the sixth century BC. So they, they did not remain in that area near the Black Sea or by Ukraine they extended towards the Northeast, which, we, which is what we call Russia today. Countless Scythian burials ranging from the sixth to the second century BC have been uncovered in the areas to the North and East of the Black Sea. In many cases, beyond the limits of what Herodotus uh, demarcated as his, in his day as Scythia proper. Soviet scholars have of course worked broadly in this region. So ac- according to the discovery, Uh, burial sites and tombs, Um, many of the remains of dead soldiers were still intact because of the cold weather up there in that area, and they were able to see that the Scythians, they occupy the land of Ukraine, Russia, Georgia, Turkey, and they basically extended northeastward, and so it occupies now the place we call Russia. Okay. And because of the discovery of these tombs and the discovery of Scythian soldiers in Russia, the Russian defense minister, he actually announced a plan to resurrect a 3,000-year-old Scythian army through cloning. (laughs) According to this uh, writer, Marco Margaridoff, uh, defense minister Sergei uh, Shoigu A Tuva native revealed uh, these intentions uh, during last week's online session of the Russian Geographical Society, according to ancient origins. Shoigu not only leads that organization, but is one of the strongest allies of President Vladimir Putin, who attended the meeting. Most baffling were Shoigu's purported goals. This was his goal. The defense minister spoke of the potential of the extraordinary. 3,000-year-old Scythian burials, referring to the plethora of DNA that has been preserved in Siberian permafrost. Uh, Shoigo had ordered a shaman to be present at the excavations in order not to anger the spirits and now apparently plans to build an army of the dead, according to Daily Mail. Kind of weird, right? Let's kind of put that out there to kind of lighten the, the mood a little bit. And so that, that's the plan of the Russian defense minister. It's gonna raise up some dead um, skillets and maybe use some of their bow and arrow skills to kind of help the war, their war efforts. Okay, so we know Magog is a land and we know this land of Magog what, uh, came from an actual person whose name was Magog, a son of Japheth. And eventually, they became known as the Scythians. And so they occupied that place we call Russia and also Ukraine. And so all this information points to the, the fact that perhaps the land of Magog is Russia. But even if we did not have the historians that we talked about, even if we did not have um, the the, the, the the discoveries of these burial sites. Even if we did not have that, and all we had was scripture, can we still make the conclusion that the land of Magog is Russia? I think we can. Because when we read Ezekiel 38, 16 and 15, it says, in the days to come, O Gog, I will bring you against my land. And verse 15, you, Gog, will come from your place in The far north. He's speaking to Ezekiel, who was where? In Israel, okay? And he's speaking in terms of the vantage point of Israel, because that's what prophecy is about. It's about Israel. And so this will take place from a place in the far north, okay? Far north. And when you look at the Hebrew word for far north, when we go to the Blue Letter Bible, there's the word for north, saphon, but it's not just north. It says north parts, but the Hebrew word for parts is Hebrew three four one one, which means extreme parts, recesses. If you look at example number one, the further side of Zebulon, poetic for more distant border of his territory, and so it can refer to extreme parts the remote parts of the north. This is why in other translations of Ezekiel 3815, it mentions that God will come from his place out of the outermost parts of the north. And so when we look at the map, right? There is Israel, we can even if we say, because at the time of writing, Ezekiel was in Babylon, which is Iraq, right? If you draw a straight line all the way up, what do you find? There can be no mistake, right? I mean, when you when you say up north, well, all of these can be north: Turkey, Syria, Ukraine, Black Sea. That's north, right? But when you say the extremities, which is what the Hebrew term is uh, use uh, seems to be telling us, is the Far north, not just far north, but the farthest part of north. It's like far east and near east. Remember the difference between kadem and Mizra. Far east from Israel. Far east. This is far north. And so there's only one place. There's only one place that lands. There's no other place, right? What's that only place? It's Russia. This is why, if you would ask me, is Russia in the Bible? I would have to say yes. That is the place where Gog is from, the land of Magog, which is what we call Russia today. Is it called Russia in the Bible? No. It's called the land of Magog in Ezekiel 38, uh, chapters 1 all the way to 15. Okay? So that's question number one. Let's go to question number two. The Bible says son of man. Is this referring to the prophet Ezekiel? In Ezekiel 38, 1 to 3, it says son of man. And who was Yahuwah God talking to? The word of Yahuwah came to me. Who is that? Ezekiel. So the son of man referred to there is not Yahusha, right? But it's referring to Ezekiel. He's called the son of man because he is a man. That's what. Just like Yahusha is called the son of man because he is a man. It tells us that Yahusha is a human being like you and I, in Ezekiel, although he's able to give prophecy And he's able to proclaim the word of God. He is a man like you and I. So the son of man is not Yahusha, but is Ezekiel himself. Let's go to question number three. Who are Meshech and Tubal? Are they people or places? They are both people and places. Because just like um, Magog, you start out as a person. You go to a place. You're the first one there. What do you do? You call that place after your name, or people call the place after you. You're the ancestor after all. Names may, the names of places may change, but the names of the ancestors do not change. And so we, we go back to Ezekiel 38 Meshach and Tubal, and the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. So Gog is also the one who is influencing Meshach and Tubal. And we all know Meshach, Tubal, Magog are all ancestors, they're all relatives, they're all brothers. Right? Because in the genealogy, Magog, Tubal, and Meshech are brothers, they're all sons of Japheth, so they belong to the same family line, and so they all occupy the same basic place. And so where's Tubal? Where is uh, Meshach today? Well, according to historians, uh, the majority of the facts about the history of Tubal came from Assyrian texts, uh, Cappadocian tablets, and Luian inscriptions, Using these texts, along with the help of the old records and writings of the historians, the expedition of Tubal and his family were traced, it was believed that Tubal and his family originated from a country in northern Asia minor interesting. Isn't that where the seven assemblies are found in Asia minor at the southeast of black of the black sea, particularly in the land where Turkey. Now stands. I want you to keep in mind Turkey. Okay. After the arrival of the Assyrian conquerors, Tubal and his people migrated to other nations. Recent studies have associated the names Tabal, Tobal, Jabal, and uh to Tubal, Iberians, that comprise the Georgians dwelling in the east and south of Georgia are said to have descended from the Tobals. Descendants of Tubal were called Tibarenoi by the Greeks and Tibareni by the Romans, and so that's here's our map, you can see Turkey right there, you see the Black Sea, and so they occupy the lands below the Black Sea, which is what we call. uh, Actually, southeast. Of the Black Sea, which is what we call Georgia right, but a lot of them also came from Turkey Meshek. Meshek, the nation of Meshek was believed to have originated from the northeast of Asia Minor, particularly the area where Turkey now occupies. And he traveled north and settled in Rosh, modern-day Russia, it is thought that Meshek started the barbaric and brutal nation of Moshki, who inhabited the Moshkin mountains that connected the lands of the Caucasus to the anti-Taurus mountains. Their heads were protected by wooden caps and they were armed with shields and small spears. The name Moscow is said to have come from the term Moshki. And So Meshek and Tubal together, uh, these nations would be in the modern country of Turkey. So most uh, most of Meshek and Tubal would be identified in Turkey today, parts of Southern Russia, in Northern Iran, and all areas happen to be of Muslim majority, something to keep in mind in our future studies. Okay, so here we have the map again. So when we talk about Tubal and Meshek, it occupies this area of the land, particularly the country of Turkey. Okay, so Turkey somehow is in, is involved in this invasion. So we have Russia, we have Turkey. Okay, so far, so good. All right, let's go to question number four. It is written in Ezekiel 38:12: in order to seize the spoil and carry off the plunder to turn a hand against the desolate places now inhabited and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and possessions and who live at the center of the land. Is it possible the center of the land pertains to Ukraine or Kiev both sits at the center and located in between Russia and European nations? The question is, Ezekiel 38 mentions the people who live at the center of the land, is it possible that, that's, that is referring to uh, Ukraine or Kiev, Kiev, which sit at the center between Russia and the European nations. It's kind of hard to make that conclusion because you can arbitrarily make anything center, right? And so when it mentions those who live at the center of the land, who is it referring to? Is it referring to Ukraine? Is it referring to Kiev? Or is it referring to something else? Let's read uh, Ezekiel 38 verse 12. I will plunder and loot and turn my hand against the resettled ruins and the people gathered from the nations. Rich in livestock and goods living at the center of the land. And so when the Bible mentions those living at the center of the land, who was he referring to? The people who were gathered from nations who are they the people of Israel because when we study Ezekiel 36 and 37 it talks about the regathering of the people of Israel from many lands and so when it says the center of the land it's speaking of the land that is occupied by the people of Israel what proves this 38 7 to 9 get ready be prepared you and all the hordes gathered about you and take command of them after many days, you will be called to arms. In future years, you will invade a land that has recovered from war, whose people were gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They had been brought out from the nations, and now all of them live in safety. You and all your troops and the many nations will, uh, with you will go up and dancing like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering. The land. So, which is the land mentioned in the Holy Bible that will be invaded by Gog together with Magog and Tubal and Meshech? Well, it's not Ukraine, but Israel. Remember Ezekiel and all of scripture is Israel-centric. It's about Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is the land loved by God. I know Ukraine's a nice place and all. Kiev is a nice place, I'm sure of it. But the land loved by Yahuwah is not Ukraine. It is Jerusalem. And so the one spoken of there is not Ukraine, but Israel. Okay, let's go to question number five. Has this happened before during the time of Ezekiel or is this a parallel prophecy? The events depicted in Ezekiel 38-39 have not yet happened. When we studied the book of Daniel, we looked at events from the past, right? To see if it happened. And we found places in history that sequentially fit together nicely with the fulfillment of prophecy. And so we identify those events. When we look at the events of 38, 39 Ezekiel, we can be sure it has not yet happened. And so it, it is yet to happen. And so we cannot say it's a parallel prophecy. However, one might say it could be an, an initial fulfillment of something in the future because this event we're going to talk about is going to take place before the millennium. But Gog and Magog shows up again after the millennium. Remember in Revelation 20? And we'll talk about that not today, but some other time. But to give you an idea of when Ezekiel 38-39 will take place, consider Ezekiel 36 to 37. It talks about the birth of the state of Israel, 36, 37, the Valley of the Bones. Okay, we'll talk about that later on. Not today, but in a future study. And then Ezekiel 40 to 48, we talked about this in the past. It talks about the millennial kingdom. And so in between the birth of the state of of Israel and the millennial kingdom, there's this Gog and Magog invasion. So it hasn't happened yet. It will happen. And after it happens, guess what? We ought to be preparing for the millennial kingdom. And so what's happening now in Ukraine is not a fulfillment of Ezekiel 38, 39. What is happening now is setting up what's gonna happen in Ezekiel 38 and 39. I hope we can see the difference uh, between the two, okay? So let's go to question number six. If yes, if... If yes, if, it's, uh, if it happened already, Ezekiel 3816, you will advance against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. It will happen in the latter days of God that I will bring you against my land. So it hasn't happened yet. So we don't have to answer that question, <laughs> I guess, right? Number seven, if no, it hasn't happened yet, then we have to answer this question. Uh, then is this conflict or war between Russia and Ukraine, the fulfillment of the Ezekiel prophecy, chapter thirty-eight to thirty-nine. I'd like to add: the president is Jew. Some soldiers are Jews, and there there is approximately three hundred thousand Jewish people in Ukraine, according to the Association of Jewish Organizations and Communities of Ukraine, based on the two thousand nineteen uh, data. So, is thirty-eight, thirty-nine fulfilled in the invasion of? Russia in Ukraine. What is your answer? Yes or no? Is the invasion of Russia in Ukraine the fulfillment of this prophecy? No, it's not. And the answer to that question, why we say no, is actually already there on the screen. The person asking the question can already answer the question. (laughs) Why? Why is it not the fulfillment of why is Russia invading Ukraine not the fulfillment of thirty-eight? 39. In question number six, it mentions, right, I will bring you against my land. And so this invasion is targeting my land. Whose land is that? Land of? Yahuwah's land, which is the land of? Israel. Ukraine is not my land. Ukraine is not the land of Yahuwah, okay? The land of Yahuwah is Israel. And also, The person asking the question can actually answer the question by going to question number eight. Question number eight says, but then verse 14 onwards uh, says the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal will advance his troops against Israel. And so Ezekiel 38, 39 talks about an invasion led by this demon king named Gog, who will use different lands against Israel. That's what Ezekiel 38, 39 is about. It's about the Gog-Magog invasion of Israel. However, this Gog who leads Magog, right, will not be by himself. Because in Ezekiel 38, 15, 16, it mentions you will come from your place in the far north, right? You and many nations with you. Want to pause there for a while? This invasion of Ukraine by Russia, Did other nations join Russia to invade Ukraine or is it just Russia it's just Russia right and so he's not being joined by many nations, yes he's from the far north, we give you that, but this Russia is not joined by any other nations, the prophecy says it will come from your place in the far north you and many nations with you all of them riding on horses. A great fort, a mighty army, you will advance against my people Israel like a cloud that covers the land. And days to come, O Gog, I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. So Gog and Magog will come with allies. And who are these allies that they're going to come with? It mentions in Ezekiel 38, 1-3, it mentions the land of Magog. Russia, Meshach, and Tubal, which is Turkey. And in addition to that, four to six, I will turn you around, put hooks in the jaws, and bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen fully armed, and the great horde with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. Persia, that's a player. Kush and Put will be with them, all with shields and helmets. Also, Gomer with all its troops, and Beth Togarma from the far north with all its troops. The many nations with you. And so it's not just Russia. Russia, it also mentions Turkey, then Persia, then Cush, then Put, then Gomer, then Beth Togarma. Who are these nations today? And what will they do to Israel? What will be the outcome? What is the purpose of this prophecy? That's what we're going to find out. Not today, but next week. There's a part two uh, to our study today, okay, but before we go ahead and conclude this is really I think the most important part of the study. It's to answer, not really to answer but to give a comment to the purpose for why this person asked the question in the first place. It says here forgive me my brother if I have so many questions, no need to apologize for having questions good that you have questions and that you share your questions so I'm very happy for this person because this person he or she I don't know who, if it's a he or she, but whoever this person is, I'm very happy for the number of questions uh, she's presenting, and it's very timely too, this is why we chose to answer these questions, because it's just so timely, um, I just want to know where we are in the biblical timeline, or at least somehow know the approximate time we still have left, I want to align my life and works with Abba Yehudah's plan of salvation, and I don't want to be caught unprepared when Christ Yahushua returns. I feel mixed emotions, both happy and anxious, because no one knows if we are worthy of salvation or not. I know he, I know many feel uh, the same way. And so, you know, with the events happening, I mean, look at what we just came from. In fact, we haven't even come out of it yet. What is that? The pandemic, right? And before the pandemic is concluded, now we are facing the potential for a world war. We don't know what's gonna happen, but this war has captured our attention, especially when you have a leader who is willing to use nuclear war, uh, nuclear bombs, nuclear missiles. And when he begins to talk like that, using nuclear stuff, well, we we are concerned, right? And so we want to know, is it time, is it close? And I understand where he or she is coming from. We want to kind of know, because we want to be in control of things. We want to know when it's going to end, right? Because if we know when it's going to end, then we can better prepare ourselves. However, I think sometimes that can be a trap. You know, People as human beings, it's our natural tendency to want to know when it's going to happen, right? But Yahuwah purposely did not tell us exactly when it's going to happen. This is why Yahusha even said, What did Yahushua say? Right? The Father, the angels, I don't even know. Right? And so it's really not our business to try and predict when the end is going to come. This is why we will not give you a date on when the end is going to come, because we might get caught in a trap of thinking we have all the time in the world. Right? Because the person mentions um, that we we want to know approximately. How much time we still have left. If we were to tell you, for example, if we were to tell you, we have until December 31st, 2022. What might you do? What might you do? You might do whatever you want. Oh, I have till December 31st. I want to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. But when December comes, I'm going to be a good boy. (laughs) Right? But November, I'm still going to be doing whatever I want. You see where I'm getting at? The whole point is, if we, if our conscience is bothering us and we feel anxious, what must we do? The book of Hebrews 4, verse 7, therefore God, again, said certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke to David, as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now the Bible says we need to prepare for that day as if that day is gonna happen today. Today, we have to heed the voice of God because if we're gonna set dates, we might take for granted today. Do you see the point? If we're gonna say the end of the world is December 31st, 2022, we might take for granted tomorrow. We might take for granted Friday. We might take for granted today. The Bible says, no, don't take any days for granted. If you hear the word of God today, heed the voice of God today. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, but today. We cannot postpone till tomorrow. We got to do it today. We have to heed the voice of God today. Why today? The book of James 4 verse 14. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then... The Bible says that we should not think we will be alive tomorrow. Life is fragile. Life is like a mist. We don't know. We cannot guarantee we're going to wake up tomorrow morning. Can we guarantee that? We cannot. There are many people today who did not wake up when the the alarm clocks went off. Many people today who died. Right? We don't know when our last day is. So the point is, every day, we should treat it as our... Last day. And if it's our last day, what must we do? We heed the voice of God. You know, when these events taking place in the world today, if it's bringing fear in your heart, if it's bringing anxiety in your heart, do you know what the purpose of Yahuwah is in permitting tragedy and natural disasters and plagues to come in our life? What? It's the response that Yahuwah wants from us. Let's read Revelation 9, 2021. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons, idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor... Do they repent of their murders, or magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts? And so what response does Yahweh want from us? When we hear of people dying, when we hear of sickness, when we hear of plague, when we hear of events taking place in this world that remind us the world is getting worse and worse, what should be our response? It should be repentance. Yahweh says... All these plagues are already taking place. How come they're still not repenting? We ought to respond with repentance. What does it mean? How can we respond with repentance? Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way and evil man's thoughts. Let him turn to Yahuwah and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. How can we truly repent? Number one, we have to forsake our wicked ways. We have to renew our life. And so if there is feeling of anxiety, it's probably because our conscience is telling us there's something we need to do that we haven't done yet, or something we have to stop doing that we keep doing. Right? That's where it's coming from, a feeling of anxiety. And so we have to come in, in, in we have to converse in prayer with Jehovah. Remember what he said in Isaiah 18 to 19? Talk to me, let's reason together. Even if your sins are scarlet red, I will make them white as snow. we need to go to our Yahuwah Abba. We need to bow our heads and humbly confess our sins to him and then stop doing those sins and then return to Yahuwah our God. What does it mean that we must return to Yahuwah our God? What is, what should be the fruit, the fruit of repentance? In the book of Hebrews 12, 26, 29, at that time, his voice shook the earth But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is A consuming fire. What should be the fruit of our repentance? Bible says we need to worship. Yahuwah Abba acceptably. This is why. When things are being shaken. Because the Bible says. Yahuwah is going to shake the world and the heavens. If you are concerned. With what's happening in Ukraine right now. You haven't seen anything yet. (laughs) Nothing yet. That's nothing. Bible says Yahuwah is going to shake the heavens and the earth. So that everything created will be destroyed. So that what will remain is that which cannot be shaken. His kingdom. This is why what we need to do in response to the events of the world taking place today. The pandemic. The social unrest. uh, The wars and rumors of wars. Our response must be to worship. How must we worship? The Bible says with reverence and awe, brethren, are we doing this? Because one thing for sure, although the invasion of Russia and Ukraine is not the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38, we know it is setting itself up. The events taking place today is building up and the parts needed and the scenarios needed The infrastructures needed for the events of 38, 39 to take place are being set up, as we speak. And so we know the end really is near. And so because the end is near, we ought to worship even more. That must be our response. The way to overcome that fear is by worship. And so before we go ahead and pray together today, a reminder to all of us, we who belong to the ascendant of Yahusha in Hebrews 10, 25 to 27, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more, you see that? And all the more as you see the day approaching. I want to pause there for a while. Can we see the day approaching? Yeah, it's getting close. These wars that have global implications, and the pandemic, which has global devastation effects throughout the world, right? We know these are events that tell us the end is near because Yahusha mentioned those events that will take place before the end comes, and so we know we are approaching the end. And so the Apostle Paul tells us, "Let's not give up the meeting, the habit of meeting together." What is that habit of meeting together? That's our worship service. That's when we assemble together as a people. We worship together on a Sabbath day to honor Yahuwah's day. Question is, are we present when we worship together on that day? And when we meet together for worship, do we prepare our hearts and minds? Are we doing it with reverence and awe? That must be our response. We need to prepare ourselves because the day is approaching if we deliberately Keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And so brethren, this must be our response. Remove the sin in our our life and worship Yahuwah with reverence and awe. Now, especially now, as we see the day approaching. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Almighty and loving Father, Yahuwah Almighty, thank you so much for bestowing to your people hope amidst the chaos taking place in the world today. With turmoil and unrest, with so much happening that bring trouble in the hearts of men, we find peace and hope in your words and in your comforting presence. Father, we are not afraid of what is to come because we know when all is said and done. We will see your beloved son descend from heaven above. Oh, Father, may you prepare us. We know what to do. Help us now to complete the work of repentance that you have begun in our hearts. Help us to forsake our wicked ways and to renew our zeal in the work of worshiping you in spirit and truth. Yahusha, our King and Savior, we worship you. We know that you will appear soon. May you please remember your servants. We dedicate our life to you. We who are your disciples, members of your assembly, parts of your sacred body, We profess you and testify of you always in our life. Please remember us on that day when you will appear in the sky, that we can be with you in the clouds to receive your promised everlasting life. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed your people throughout the world. You will keep us safe at all times, for we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua Hamashiach. Amen.